Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. And Keith, I think we are on the precipice of finally having a Damian Lillard trade. The rumors are really ramping up. We've gotten multiple teams that sound like they are in the mix right now, uh, which from what I read this morning, it is more likely that uh, Toronto is the front runner right now. So let's start there first. With Toronto being potentially the front runner, what could go back in a Damian Lillard trade from Toronto to Portland to allow this trade to be facilitated? Yeah, anytime it's a big trade like this, and in in terms of you know a player of Damian Lillard's caliber, you instantly I think the first thing people go to is what are the value pieces coming back. But for me, because he carries a $45.6 million salary, I go to what's the salary? Because that, that you know, it do, doesn't matter if you can agree to value. If the salary doesn't match, it doesn't work. So so I always kind of, you know, start there and then figure out, well, you can add the value in. I think we can, you know, presumably take Pascal Siakam off the table. I, I think that's one that would make the salary matching very easy. Um, but I think this is a situation where Toronto wants him and they, they want to build on him. Other guys like Jakob Pertl just resigned. So he's not even trade eligible yet. Uh, uh, Dennis Schroeder just signed. So not trade eligible. So, so that starts to kind of give you a little bit of a picture, but from there, the Raptors have a whole lot of stuff they can send. There's a lot of different ways they can get there. It sounds like, and this is kind of pick your reporter on this, who you want to believe. Some are saying Scotty Barnes, not even, uh, you know, on the table at all in this. Others have said, ah, Scotty Barnes is more attainable than you think. And then other folks are saying OG Ananobi is definitely going to be involved. Now, OG Ananobi, 18.6 million this year, 19.9 million next year in a player option uh, that he's definitely going to decline. We'll see if he does any kind of extension. I think, Probably not. I think he's probably going to free agency, but we'll, we'll see. And then Scotty Barnes, obviously, because he's young, he's somebody I think uh, Portland would love to have because that's a position. He, he's probably really a small forward in, in the NBA. That's probably his best spot. And that's a place where, where Portland doesn't have a lot of uh, guys right now. That, that, that's one spot on their team where they, they're not kind of overflowing like they are with guards. Then, so now you're talking higher. Well, that's either 18.6 goes out or 8 million. You still have a long ways to go to make up the rest. And that's absolutely true, but you can get there a number of ways. Either you kind of overwhelm Portland by sending, you know, four or five guys and they could send guys like Chris Boucher. We've heard uh, Grady Dick who was just drafted. And it's important to remember here, draft picks, even when signed, they aren't uh, held to that same, December 15th restriction. They can be traded 30 days after being signed um, here. So you could add him in. If you needed to do filler salaries, you have guys like Thaddeus Young and Otto Porter Jr. Uh, who could be added in as well. So so we're in a spot where, where Toronto can definitely get there. But the headline of the, the package would either likely be Ananobi or Barnes. It's not going to be both of them, but one or the other. Grady Dick, and then whatever draft pick compensation gets added in as well. And I would treat the rest as more or less filler salary to to kind of get the numbers to where they need to be. 
Is Toronto becoming the front runner because they think that they could pull off a move like they did with Kawhi Leonard? I think so. I, I think, you know, Masai Ujiri and his crew there, they have a very uh, belief, strong belief in guys like it once they get here. Like, like this is a place guys want to be. Um, the, the, the fans are really supportive um, with all that. I, I want to go back to one thing, too. I should have mentioned Gary Trent Jr. could be a part of this trade. Kind of funny, considering Toronto got him from Portland uh, only a few years back. So he, he could also be another salary you put in to, to get the salaries where they need to be. But back to your, your immediate question is, yeah, I think Toronto – is there and we also know with Masai Ujiri he's not afraid to step up and take the home run cut he did it with Kawhi Leonard where every indication when that deal started like all right this may be a thing was Kawhi is not staying there he's not going to resign in Toronto and they didn't care and in the end they were right because they got a title out of it and that's you know that's all that really matters at that point so I think yeah we're we're in a spot here where we may see Toronto say, you know what, we'll figure it out. And I think there's two plays there is either we'll be really, really good and he'll be fine being here and we'll figure that part of it out. Or in a year, two years from now, we'll just trade him ourselves and we'll you know, recoup some of what we, we traded to give him up and, and we'll kind of hit the reset because that's probably where this is all headed anyway. Yeah, it's fascinating because Kawhi Leonard had that injury history, and now Dame Lillard has sort of that injury history that's following him. Um, does depending on what pieces go out, is Dame Lillard a good fit for this Toronto team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I liked the Dennis Schroeder acquisition for them. They needed something at point guard. They they you spent a lot of last year with Fred Van Vliet, obviously holding down that role, and when he was out, they kind of they'll do a lot of playmaking through Pascal Siakam, through Scotty Barnes. But I think Damian Lillard, obviously, is a huge upgrade over anything they have. And that includes Schroeder, who, you know, then he presumably transitions into a bench role, and that's a role he's excelled in uh, for years, and he'll still play a lot. And I think also with Lillard, you get the kind of added benefit of if you're trying to really keep him fresh throughout the course of the year, you don't have to put everything on his shoulders because what you can do is say, Hey, you're going to be out there, but we'll run the offense through Siakam or we'll run the offense through Barnes. If Barnes is obviously still there and, and we'll do that for, you know, the next you know five, six, seven trips down the floor and let you kind of play off of those guys or play as the secondary creator or whatever it may be. And, and I think that's something that can really work for them as well. Is there any concern that if it's a four for one, five for one, whatever it might end up being that Toronto, they're going to have to still pivot going into this season to fill out their roster. There's going to be a little bit of that, but I think you have a couple things here. I think they have a couple guys kind of in, in the fold in the G league right now, Ron Harper jr. There's a thought he may be ready. Our Marquise Noel, um, who, you know, was kind of the, one of the darlings of um, the NCAA tournament a year ago, he's there on a two-way contract, Javon Freeman Liberty. So you could probably bump one of those guys to the active roster, but where Toronto kind of comes through is guys like Otto Porter jr. Who unfortunately never was a part of things last year because he was injured and Thaddeus Young those guys aren't really a part of anything Toronto's trying to do this year really so what you can do in that situation is you could kind of say 
hey, we're matching salary with guys who are end of the bench roster fillers anyway. So, you know, whoever we bring in is going to give us equivalent production to that. But they, they would immediately become a place. And then we'd have to see where everything obviously lands for them, buyout-wise and all those sorts of things. But they become a potential buyout candidate. Or they, they probably still have another salary or two that they can hold back in reserve that then they can make another trade to, to really fill out uh, the rotation if they need to. But, yeah, you're going to need – to replenish a little bit of debt of their depth and they're going to have to do it on the fly because anytime you're doing it this late in the off season, really only week or so before the, the training camp and preseason starts up, you're, you're pretty limited because there's not a lot. You can just go out and sign in free agency. According to my records, Toronto has only gone into the luxury tax in the last 10 seasons in 2018-19 season. Yep. So they're not a frequenter into the luxury tax area. And that paid they off because right? they won the title. And, so right. <laughs> you're going to do so, it. So in, in there were uh, about $1.2-ish million below the luxury tax right now. So with that being said, are, would they be okay going into the luxury tax if this played out where Lillard ended up in Toronto? And B, with the new CBA, a lot of these rules started to change with the with trades and going into the luxury tax and that kind of stuff. So can you sort of recap if Toronto would fall into any of those uh, new situations with trades if they were to be post-trade as a luxury tax team? Yeah, so actually what they did was they – they added kind of restrictions on the most expensive teams this year, but then the, the just like I kind of call I'm starting to call them like normal tax teams, like teams that are just kind of into the tax. They haven't really been hit too hard. So what's happened is um, Toronto in this place is that they can be, you know, about 110 percent. It would be their matching. And that's only if they start to mess around around the first apron. Otherwise, they're they're fine. They they can get there you know, with relative ease on matching salary to to get Lillard because even if you you're just kind of tripping over the um the the apron, you're you're not in that bad of a spot. The real uh, restrictions kick in next year, or it's technically which I like the way they did this. It's after the trade deadline, on um, the trade restrictions kick in, so it would be in place around the NBA draft. And all that, but that's when you start getting, if you're up over that first apron, you're a hundred percent matching in trades and those kind of things. And then you get into, if you're over the second apron, you can't aggregate salaries and all that stuff, but obviously Toronto would be doing this now. So none of that's kicked in just yet. So they should be fine to make, make the trade as far as paying the tax goes. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, when you're that tight to the tax line, there's always a chance you trip over it in a trade like this, because maybe, you know, you send back 40, you know, 2 million for Lillard and Lillard comes in at, you know, whatever it was, 46 million and he caught or almost 46 million. And now you're over the tax. But I think the good news for Toronto is that doesn't really matter until you get to really the trade deadline. We say the end of the season, but it's really the trade deadline. So when you get to, to the trade deadline, if you're like, yeah, we're 4 million over the tax, that could be the difference between, hey, we're going to salary dump player X onto a team with a second round pick, and now we're out of the tax and we move on that way. And that, that could be something we see as well for this Raptors team. They're actually surprisingly in 
fairly flexible position. They don't have a ton of uh, you know long term payroll locked up, and nobody is beyond this season uh, making over Jakob Pertle's the highest number on their books for next year at nineteen point five million because Siakam comes off the books. Inanobi, as we said, has that player option that he's definitely going to decline. So, so they're they're in a good spot to be able to take on money this year and. Uh, going forward if they did make a deal for Damian Lillard. Now, once you start resigning guys, you resign Siakam, you fill out the roster, you're going to get to probably be a pretty expensive team and probably up around the tax line, but that's something you deal with down the line if you feel like you're good enough. Last question dealing with Toronto. What kind of draft assets do they have that can go back? I mean, we've seen some crazy trades with the the Gobert trade with the the picks that went and the Kevin Durant picks and you name it does Toronto have the picks to send to Portland or is Portland not really looking for picks and they're more so looking for uh player asset pieces where are we with yeah that? Portland wants picks unless the players are you know 24 23 and under um, those range. Um, they, they definitely want picks. So Toronto is, they do have one obligation to work around. They, they owe a protected pick to the San Antonio Spurs. It's top six protected. Um, did that, if, if it doesn't convey this year, it rolls over each of the next two drafts as well. So, so that'll roll through 24, 25, 26, and then turns into two seconds if they haven't sent it by 2026. So at that point, you're starting to say, all right, well, where can we actually get with picks? So what they could do right now is they could say, all right, we'll give you the 2026 pick if we send out the 2024 to Toronto, to San Antonio. In Toronto, I think if they got Damian Lillard, you better be not in the top six of the draft. Otherwise, what a disaster of a trade it would have been. So I think you feel pretty good about saying if you're Portland, all right, give us your 2026 pick if you've already finished the obligation of the Spurs in 2024 then you know at 2028 2030 we'll see you know is three picks you know too many or is it only two picks or those kind of things so they can get there they have the ability to do that my guess is I don't know that we're going to see pick swaps on the in-between years and those kind of things Lillard's just a little bit older with some more risk attached to acquiring him that I don't know that you're going to see it be like a Donovan Mitchell type return or even a Kevin Durant type type return just because of you know some of the things that are you know around Lillard and also the fact that you know they they haven't said I don't want to go to Toronto publicly but they did kind of make it known hey Miami are bust here and if somebody else gets them you better be prepared to deal with an unhappy player so I think at that point you're not getting every single last thing out of them where it's, hey, you can have every you know, possible thing we can give you. I don't think it's going to be that kind of trade. All right, let's shift to the other team that's sort of been a darker, dark horse uh, that has come to fruition this week. Uh, the Chicago Bulls seems like they might be in play for Lillard. What kind of pieces could they send back, um, whether it's player and or uh, you know, draft picks? Yeah, on the Chicago side, was that? Yes. Yeah, sorry, I got I get to show, I saw a social media thing pop up, a Twitter alert, and it wasn't anything. So I got excited. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe we're going to break this down live. <laughs> um, Chicago. Yeah, Chicago's a weird one because it, it makes some sense why they're interested. They're never a team that really 
wants to lean hard into rebuilding. They've always kind of been, hey, let's try to be good. And they've got pieces in place that could be good. Presumably, anything involving the Bulls is going to be headlined by Zach Levine and his $40 million salary on the outgoing side. And, okay, that makes some sense. Now, there there have been many years where Portland has been extremely interested in Zach Levine and bringing him back to the Pacific Northwest, you know, where he's, you know, uh, you know uh, from. And, you know, still, I believe, still keeps a home there uh, in the offseason. The challenge is, right now, Portland has... Scoot Henderson, Anthony Simon, Shaden Sharp, all at the guard position. Uh, Sharp and Henderson, obviously, on their rookie deals, only going into their rookie year and their second year. And then you have um, Simons, who signed long-term. So it doesn't really make sense for them to bring in Zach Levine. And Zach Levine, on that contract, that's much more of a, hey, we're trying to win right now uh, kind of move. And that's not where Portland's going to be if they're trading Damian Lillard. Now, if we were having a different conversation, it was like, hey, they want to trade Simons and, you know, maybe some draft picks to get Zach Levine that to try to keep Damian Lillard. That's a whole other conversation we could have, and that could be a real thing. But that's not not where this is at. So I get it from the Chicago side. You could give Zach Levine. They've got draft picks. They're, again, a little, a little messy in what they can trade. Uh, draft pick wise, because, you know, lo and behold, still owe an obligation to uh, much like Toronto, the San Antonio Spurs. That's from the DeMar DeRozan sign and trade. It's kind of funny. They also have a pick coming from Portland, uh, potentially, if it's uh, if that pick is uh, lottery protected. So you could free up the protections on that pick if that's where it wanted to go. But Portland's obviously they're not trying to give a pick in this situation. So that gets, get gets a little messy unless it was, Hey, we'll just give you that full control of the pick back. But I think even then Portland's like, you know, what do we care? We're going to be bad the next couple of years anyway. So it's just in a little bit of a weird spot um, with what they could give and then finding the value. If Chicago was to get Damian Lillard, I believe that only happens if it's a three team deal where it is, you know, Zach Levine is routed elsewhere and younger assets and draft picks are, are uh, headed Portland's way that that lands Lillard in Chicago. That's the only way I see it making sense. Miami seems to be out. Um, seems like no one wants Tyler hero. Any, any, any reason why Tyler hero seems to have the, uh, the scarlet letter on him right now. Yeah. It, you know, that's been, to me, the most disappointing part of this entire thing is now all of a sudden it's turned into Tyler Hero stinks and he's a terrible basketball player. I get it. Tyler Hero, much like Zach Levine, doesn't make sense for Portland. Like They, they don't need another guard who signed long term, especially when they have. Uh, Anthony Simons is effectively their version of what Tyler Hero is uh, right now. So, so that part of it, like, I totally get, but that there's, you know, there's miles of difference between that and Tyler Hero is a bad basketball player. Like, that's what's been extremely frustrating to me is all of a sudden it's turned into he's just not good, and that's not the case at all. He is a very good. 
uh, player. He's a good scorer. He's a better playmaker than people give him credit for. Now he's not a great defender, but you know that there's always give and takes. You know, if he was a perfect player, he'd be on a max deal, and Miami wouldn't even be looking to to trade him. So you know, his contract at thirty million AAV it kicks in that four year, hundred and twenty million extension starts this season for Tyler Hero. I perfectly fine value. I have no issue with paying him 30 million with where the salary cap is going and, and all the things we talk about regularly on this show. So yeah, I, I don't really get it, but I get it from Portland side where they're like, Hey, we, we just don't have interest because it doesn't make sense for them to take him on, on that contract uh, with where they're at in the, in their build. So that necessitates, Hey, we're going to find a third team. Now there are teams uh, subsequent reporting has come out that are very interested in Tyler Hero, either, you know, probably very likely as a third team in a deal that sends Lillard to Miami. But it is a little crazy that, you know, it's gone so far down the path of, you know, Tyler Hero stinks. But I guess that's just, you know, everybody's either amazing or they're terrible and there's no in between uh, in the world we live in right now. To finish off this conversation, are there any other teams that you've been hearing that, could be in play and or do you have a dark horse that you think might be in play? Yeah, Toronto was one of the teams I kind of just kept a little bit thrown out there of, you know, hey, they, they could be being on this. Vegas put out lines. I put the Celtics as the favorite. I, I just don't see it. I don't see how Boston gets there in any reasonable way. I mean, they, they, they could get there in a number of different ways, salary matching wise, because it's important to note Jalen Brown is not trade eligible. Uh, he, because he signed the Supermax extension, uh, he, he's got a one-year trade restriction. Because he actually signed it so late in July, it's going to carry well through what, well, I should say what was used to be the off season, <laughs> who knows anymore now. And maybe, maybe this stuff will continue into August, September, maybe the beginning part of October moving forward, but it, it goes into late July. So he's not going to be a part of a trade. So the Celtics can get there with guys like Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White and Robert Williams, where you start getting a little like, wait, is Boston going to give up all their depth? to have, you know, kind of a, you know, four or five man team that's filled out with a whole bunch of minimum guys. I'm just not sure that's where this is going to go uh, for the Celtics. So I, I don't think they're going to be, be a part of things. And I don't see how their offers are any better than what Miami's offering. They can offer more picks, but the picks are going to be less valuable. Um, they can offer good players, but no, nobody who's, you know, I think going to get Portland up and screaming because anybody they offer is going to be, you know, probably not match the timeline. Or again, you're talking, it's going to have to be either Brogdon or white. Then the same thing we've mentioned, you know, multiple other times, Portland isn't really in a position where they want to take on another guard, uh, especially one that has, you know, salary beyond one year left. All right. We shall see. We may have a trade here in the next day or two. I'm, I mean, I'm hoping <laughs> me too. saga over yep. with. <laughs> yeah. It's, as I said, Scott, I'm, I'm done um, talking about the hypotheticals and I want to get into analyzing where we're at, like with a Damian Lillard yeah. trade, like, like the, yeah, I hear let you. me break it down now. I, I'm done talking about the what could be with this. Which will be fantastic because I know you will be chopping it a bit to write that article to post it on SpotTrack.com. So keep, uh, keep an eye out for that when this trade does go down. Let's transition to a 
piece that you posted yesterday and you're going to have subsequent divisions as well. We, you started with the Southeast division, any rotation and roster questions, and you posed two questions per team. We're going to start with uh, each. We're going to go through each team and just do one of them uh, as a tease. And then whoever wants to go read the rest can go do so. So we're going to start with the Atlanta Hawks. Your first question that you're posing is who replaces John Collins in the starting lineup? Yeah, and, and why this is an interesting question to me is John Collins obviously was a huge part of the Hawks, right? He, he was, you know, a big part of what, what they were um, as they kind of rebuilt and came back into prominence, even despite the fact that he's been in uh, trade rumors, it feels like for the last four seasons, um, but he, he's been a big part of things. So now you've got to replace him. And, and they didn't, when they traded him, it was very much a salary dump by the Hawks. So they didn't get a player back to kind of come in and replace him. So that leaves, internal options well the internal options are really Sadiq Bey Bogdan Bogdanovich or Jalen Johnson I'll do Bogdanovich first because he's the easiest one they'd be too small if they start him that means DeAndre Hunter would have to play at the four you could play those lineups we have to pick and choose because you're also going to be starting the two guards and Trey Young and DeJounte Murray and that just puts a lot of pressure on Clint Capella or Nyeka Kongwu at the five so I think Bogdanovich is also wonderful as a six man. So there's no reason to, to really kind of do that. So then it really comes down to Jalen Johnson or Sadiq Bay. I think it'll probably be Sadiq Bay um, because gives him another shooter. Him and DeAndre Hunter played, you know, they, they, they were okay together when, when they played. So that's something I, I think to keep an eye on, you know, the, the negative 13, but in limited minutes over only 20 regular season games. So I'm not going to you know, really panic about those right now, but Bay gives him a shooter. He's very, very good with the Hawks, the most efficient he's been because mostly he was a catch and shoot guy. He wasn't doing a lot of off the dribble stuff like he had done with the Pistons. Johnson took a big leap. He looks much better in his second season going into what should be you know, a good third season for him. I know the Hawks like him quite a bit. Challenge is when him and Hunter played together, they were awful. They were negative 63 in 138 minutes over only 36 games. That's that's a lot to be negative, even though it's a small sample size. So that gives you kind of, kind of worry. But, you know, there, there's some stuff here for Quinn Snyder to experiment with. But I think Sadiq Bay gets it. But I'm going to be be watching that. That's going to be the, the biggest thing I'm watching with the Hawks as the, the uh, preseason gets cranking here. With the Charlotte Hornets, uh, your question out of the gate for them is, how does the wing forward rotation shake out? Yeah, now, it's funny because... I actually had one of my good friends who covers the Hornets sent me a note and said, man, I can't, I can't agree with your question more, but I'm glad we're asking it after the mess of last year um, where, you know, they, they just didn't have NBA guys playing a lot of minutes, but here's what they're looking at, right? LaMelo ball is going to start at the point. Uh, Mark Williams probably starts at center. And then who else starts, right? That's three open starting positions. P.J. Washington, Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier would presumably be the guys because they they all every game they played last year they started uh, those three guys. They're three veterans. Uh, Washington just signed to a new contract, so that could be it. And it 
very likely may be to open the season because Miles Bridges, who is back this year, but he's got 10 games left of his 30-game suspension um, that the league handed down after the domestic violence issues he had. And, you know, we've talked about that previous on the show, so we don't need to go back into it. But he's going to be out the first 10 games. So that kind of makes any lineup decisions or any hard conversations easier. But then you also have the number two pick in the draft, Brandon Miller, who's going to play a lot. Maybe they ease him in early and say, hey, let's just kind of, you know, get, get him into the NBA with, you know, 20, 25 minutes a night off the bench for the early part of the season and go. But at some point, you're probably going to need to start Bridges because if he's anywhere what he was as a player before, uh, he was, you know, arguably their second best, well, well, maybe their best player, definitely their second best player behind LaMelo Ball when we last saw him. And then uh, Miller, because he was that high of a draft pick, you're eventually going to need to start him as well. And I wrote in the piece, maybe it takes care of itself. Maybe Gordon Hayward is hurt. By the time this happens, maybe they say, all right, you know what, Terry Rogier, your best role moving forward um, for us and on the contract you're on is in a high minute, you know, third guard role where you'll play behind the ball and next to him and all these things. And maybe that's how they take care of all of it. But it is going to be interesting to watch. And it is something that they have to answer. But like I said, it's better than looking down the bench and being like, all right, well, tonight I'm going to start this G League guy and this 10-day uh, contract guy and this because it's just a little messy um, or was a little messy last season for the Hornets. Yeah, better have those kind of problems than like you said. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> Miami Heat, uh, without Damian Lillard, does Kyle Lowry start? I think this is a fantastic question because we, you know, we were scratching our heads with where was Kyle, Kyle Lowry at the end of last season. So, how do you answer this? Yeah, so, and I think, you know, why you got to kind of ask this is, I think everybody just assumes, all right, well, Kyle Lowry steps back into the starting point guard. But I don't know that it's quite that simple. Kyle Lowry, he really lost the job um, when he, he missed time in February into March, and Gabe Vincent really took it, took the starting job, held it all through the playoffs, and, and that was where it went. But Gabe Vincent's gone. But Lowry was already giving up a lot of playing time to Vincent. And there was already a lot of buzz of Gabe Vincent's going to be the starter by the time, you know, we're into the end season here for the heat. So I, I Lowry may be done in terms of being a starter and you may be looking at it. If you're the heat of, Hey, we want to get Kyle Lowry all the way to important games in April, May and June. So best way may be, 20 minutes a night off the bench. It's kind of where he's at at this point in his career. So then it becomes, all right, how do they do it? Does Tyler Hero slide over to the to the one? Uh, because again, just like you said, this is if they don't trade for Damian Lillard. Because um, if they trade for Damian Lillard, obviously he starts there. And then we've got a whole other question that you can read in the piece of what do they do? But, you know, do you, do you move Hero over to the one and let him do it? Because he can do the playmaking and... Butler and Bam Adebayo run the offense a lot anyway. So so you're you're probably fine there. Um Josh Richardson is back um with Miami on a you know very good value minimum deal. And with Josh Richardson, his best uh play 
um, arguably came when he was with the Heat before, and he was their starting point guard. So maybe that's the way you go. Or you could put Duncan Robinson out there because that gives you you some shooting um, that you didn't have otherwise. Nikola Jovic, I mentioned him. He's also going to you know kind of force his way into playing time as a second-year player this year because he looks like he's really ready for it, and that could mean some guys slide down a position. So the Heat have some options to run through, even if none of them are quite as good as just having Gabe Vincent. But obviously, I think they planned their offseason going one way. And if it doesn't go that way, they've got some decisions to make for sure. With the Orlando Magic, where do they find minutes for Anthony Black and Jet Howard? Yeah, this is really interesting because these two guys were both uh, lottery picks, the sixth pick and the 11th pick in the 2023 draft. Uh, Two guys that I know Orlando is very high on. The challenge is they're both stepping into really crowded positions on this roster. For Anthony Black, he's an on-ball playmaker right now. And in front of him, in the Magic's guard group, is Markel Fultz, Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, and Gary Harris. Those are four guys who are you know, good players or the magic are invested in them and they want to, you know, be there. So it's going to take him a little bit to kind of, you know, figure out how to crack through that or an injury, which unfortunately this group has been very uh, bit by the injury bug in the past. So maybe that's where the playing time comes from for him. As for Howard, he's, he's a wing. He's a, you know, a, a two guard or a small forward. And that means, all right, now he's in the same kind of mix with Gary Harris, Jalen Suggs and the off uh, guard minutes or on the wing at, at the wing forward, you're talking about Franz Wagner. Is there Joe Ingles, who's they signed to play a big role as kind of a veteran calming presence for those guys And the magic still have a couple other uh, young ish players in Caleb Houston and Chumo Kiki, who they, they still like, and they want to see. So Howard should be able to get through Houston or, or Kiki. Cause that, that's just where, you know, he, he should be you know, better than those guys pretty quickly into the year. But it's hard to see him playing over Wagner or Ingles or playing over, you know, any of the off guards things. So now, as I wrote in the piece, this isn't really a problem because it means Orlando, these guys are going to have to earn it to play um, instead of just being gifted minutes, which often happens with high draft picks. Um, and, and I do think Black, because he may be one of the best defensive players period to come in from this draft class. Um, and, and he's definitely going to be, I think one of the or most uh, NBA defense ready players right away coming in. Um, he probably gets on the floor first and just, we maybe have an injury or two in that group, but I do think Howard, if he can shoot it the way they drafted, which the magic drafted him to do, I think he'll crack the rotation just because of that eventually, but it's just going to take time for those two guys to get there. Yes, it's a good problem to have uh, from a roster building uh, situation. So I'm I'm really interested in seeing what the Orlando Magic do this season. You know, uh, I'll, Washington can I say one quick thing. Oh, go on ahead. That? It's a it's a good problem yeah. to have until you get too far down the line and guys aren't playing like we've kind of seen a little bit with Oklahoma City. Now some of their guys have have taken major leaps in development. Where other guys, it's been much more of a slow burn. And what ends up happening is sometimes you can't afford the slow burn anymore. You just run out of roster spots. So that's going to be the interesting thing to monitor with Orlando. And that's where guys like Chumo Kiki, who was a first round pick and 
Caleb Houston, who was a high second round pick, those guys may wash out earlier just because you had somebody else come in. But if, if that somebody else comes in and beats them and just takes their spot, that's really not, it's not a problem, but it just is a sign of, Hey, this is kind of the things that can happen when you're rebuilding. But you know, if you're taking the approach of, Hey, let's hit on half of our draft picks that we have, then, you know, you're, you're doing it the right way. And it's not really a bad thing. It's just one of those things where it does become really interesting to, to look at. Yeah, it does. It allows for that next man up. And, you know, if once you have all of your next men up, then you really have your roster ready to go. And um, like you said, you know, they may have to make a move. And if it is, then it might be for the better. Washington Wizards, who is the backup center and how does that impact roster cuts as we get closer to those happening? Yeah, Washington's in an interesting spot. They Because they re-signed Taj Gibson to a fully guaranteed deal, they're going to have to cut. Uh, and when we say cut, let's note, that's cut or trade. We're, we, we use the term cut, but it's really, you got to get rid of a couple guys um, to get down with fully guaranteed contracts to get into roster compliance. So when it's one, generally there's one jumps out as kind of, all right, that's the more easy, easy waiver and you move on and get into two or three or more. And it starts to be like, all right, you got some decisions to make here on a, on a waiver or a trade. So in this case with Washington, I think what is really interesting um, with, with the, this group is, you know, like we said, you got kind of Taj Gibson uh, back in there. Um, and now you've got a center mix that's kind of fun to take a look at. I think Daniel Gafford starts as the uh, team's starting uh, five. I just, it, it seems to make sense. He'll regain that role. Um, that was a role he held for a number um, of games w- with Washington. Then Chris Apps, Porzingis came fully in the fold. They weren't good together. Porzingis obviously better than Gafford. So Porzingis ended up being the team's starting five and Gafford went into a bench role, but he was still productive and good. They've got him on the, on a contract. Now he's finally kicking into that extension. They signed him to, so he's at 12.4 million this year. So I think Gafford's a guy who's, he, he's probably going to be the starter. It's behind him. That gets interesting. If you just took a look at the roster and you didn't really think about the whole, well, they've got to wave guys and all that. You'd be like, Oh, well, they got Mike Muscala. He's, you know, a decent option. He'll probably, you know, back him up. You got Taj Gibson. You know, why is this a question? Well, Probably only one of those guys is going to be on the roster. I don't know that both of them make it out of the regular season. So then it turns into, all right, so who is it going to be? With Gibson, you know you're going to get defense. You're going to get rebounding. He's a good screen setter. But the reality is he's going into year 15, and he is going to be, let me make sure I have this right. He's going to be 38. He is 38 years old. So, yeah, I don't know how much you're getting out of Taj Gibson at this point in his career even as a backup five, you're probably talking eight, 10 minutes a night. Mescal is probably a better player right now, um, but he doesn't really fit anything Washington's trying to do. Like in a kind of look at it as, you know, backup center comes a little bit having a good one, but it comes a little bit like having a good closer on a bad baseball team. It's just, it's a luxury that doesn't really matter. Like what, what is, is the point of it? And, the, the problem for Washington is there's no you know much younger option that screams, hey, just play this guy 20 minutes a night, force feed him minutes, kind of like what Daniel Gafford was at one point in time, and you'll figure it out from there. So so it's interesting. I also threw out Xavier Cooks as someone to keep an eye on. 
He's very undersized. He's only six foot eight. He actually started out when he was uh, draft eligible several years ago because he played multiple years overseas, primarily in Australia, before coming to the NBA last year when he was a 27 year old, uh, 20, 27 and 28 year old rookie. Um, he's he is 28 now. So for him coming in um, later in his career, he's now turned into a kind of a small ball five type player um, because he's a pretty rugged rebounder. He's a pr- pretty good shot blocker for guys only about six foot eight. I mean, he could kind of hold his own. I do kind of wonder if the plan may be, hey, we'll just get by with a combination of him and Taj Gibson behind Daniel Gafford for 10, 15 minutes a night and call it good. And that's be, that'll be the way we play it out. Cause I do think uh, cooks has some potential that hasn't uh, really been fully explored yet. All right. If you're looking to see the rest of the questions, feel free to go to spottrack.com, Click on the uh, Kyle Lowry image. <laughs> you picked a perfect picture questions. for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. It was very fitting. I, I love finding those kind of pictures. That just fit the article to a T. Uh, Keith, what is the next division for rotation and roster questions that you're going to be posting? Yeah, these are going to come rapid fire because because we're we're in a spot where we you know we want to get these all up uh, before the bulk of the training camps open next week. So, but uh, we're just going to alternate conferences. So next will be the Southwest Division uh, that comes out, and then we'll go back to the East probably with the the um, the oh gosh the uh, midwest central division now um but this is awful for someone who covers the league i don't i I only think about divisions when i do things like this um (laughs) because they just don't really matter uh anymore in the in the nba it's what what do they call it the central division now i don't know why i was stuck on midwest um but yeah so we'll we'll do that and then we'll just keep uh, you know ping-ponging back and forth as we go so so they'll, they'll all be up here fairly soon all right Take a look at those as they uh, come the full force at you. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to hit up Keith on X Twitter uh, at Keith Smith NBA. Keith, anything else we need to know before we get out of here? Uh, we're you know a week out from camp starting. Uh, the, they'll start. We're recording this on Tuesday, twenty six. Everybody's camp will be cranked up uh, a week from from today, and that, that's great. That means the the season's almost here. We got preseason games by the end of next week. Uh, the Mavs and Timberwolves over in Abu Dhabi are starting everything up. So we're we're almost there. All right, for Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next podcast.